Welcome to the Nebraska Soybean Board Weekly Market Roundup being brought to you by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. I'm Susan Littlefield. As we take a look at the markets, obviously wrapping up a week, which has had some kind of quiet uncertainty. I don't like to use that Q word very often, but it has definitely had that kind of tone to it. But there is a lot of talk of a push of what's going to go on with new crop soybeans. Is that pressure coming from South America? We'll find out that and a lot more as we look at price discovery and maybe divorcing ourselves a little bit from outside market influences. Stick around. More is coming up on this week's episode. Imagine a future fueled by soy-based possibilities. A future where creativity and productivity live together under one roof. A future that takes you from point A to point B to point Z, all while ensuring brighter tomorrows for our next generation. A soy-based future? It's already here. Well, welcome back. As you see, joining us today is Sean Hackett with Hackett Financial Advisors. And we've got Jeff Peterson with Heartland Farm Partners. And I want to throw this out to both of you guys. And I'll let the computer decide who's going who's gonna to talk first with the push of the button. But it has definitely been a quieter feel to the market trade this week. And I don't think we can blame it on going into a three-day holiday weekend. And, oh, Jeff, the computer picked you first. So uh, what's kind of your thoughts about this kind of quiet off trade we've had? Well, Susan, I think if you go back and look at it, the uh, best way I can kind of sum it up is that there isn't enough definitive action, either bullish or bearish. And, and we've got tight enough stocks overall, but there really isn't enough yet of saying, you know what, we know that uh, we're going to have a good South American crop, but yet they're having some problems getting it off. So we still see some demand showing up from China. And then you you start talking about, okay, what, what's the demand going to be overall? And then energy-wise, you look at energy, and energy looks like it's going to move a little bit higher, and then it physically backs off. And so that's the feel we're getting here. So there just isn't enough, um, basically, confidence either in the bullish or bearish side to move us from here. Sean, I see you kind of shaking your head in agreement with that. Well, remember, commodities have been correcting for over a year. We've driven a lot of speculators out. We've driven a lot of the froth out. Um, and we're getting down to a situation where now I think – you know, the Dow's up, the Dow's down, the dollar's up, the dollar's down, but the markets are more focused, as uh, Jeff said, you know, regarding you know, what's the actual supply for today, what are we looking at tomorrow, and there's still enough uncertainty and confidence that's keeping the markets divorced from those outside markets, and I think, as always, when we start getting further into the second crop corn in Brazil, and we start getting further on into the planting season, we begin to either firm up that confidence or firm up and that brings volatility into the uh, you know, more volatility into pricing. So I think the, it's the storm uh, of, of increasing price volatility. And that means both both the buyer side and the cash seller side need to be thinking about how are they going to manage which way that volatility breaks. It's kind of nice to be able to have that focus once again on agricultural market trade than you know, what somebody's doing in, in Chicago or, or New York City, for example. What do you Yeah, I mean, I get, it, gets very, it gets very old, constantly looking over your shoulder at these other markets. I like when we get to more fundamentally driven markets. It just, you know, that's how I like to operate. It makes my job, I think, you know, a little easier. So, Well, Jeff, for when we look at specifically agricultural products, there's been a lot of buzz about new crop soybeans. Um, folks are watching what it's doing there in Chicago. Is there some pressure coming out of Brazil or is it just 
the time of year where we're just going to start focusing on new beans. Well, you know, what's interesting about this, so let's just kind of size up the current situation. And anytime we, we really are, are talking about the demand on soybeans, you know, we have to talk about China. And, and there's a, you know, since they just came off of COVID, uh, their lockdowns on that, they're getting back to more normal. Everybody's still kind of questioning a little bit about what their demand is going to actually be. And the thing that we have to kind of go back and think about is that coming into COVID, you know, with the African swine fever issues they had on the hog herd, they made some rats in regard to what their demand is to feed the hogs that they have. You know, they went ahead and probably took 35, 40 million metric non-corn and soybean meal uh, products that were being fed to their hogs. They said, we no longer can feed those. But then we ended up having our, our COVID and the pullback. So now we're trying to sort out what is their real demand going to be. And then we come down to South America. And I think one of the things that's looming down there is, yes, they have a big crop coming on kind of feels like the the bean crop could get a little bigger yet corn crop for them might actually get a little smaller but there's a statement coming out of the pre the current president of Brazil that I it keeps ringing true in my mind and that's the fact that we we know across corn and and beans they produce on about 180 million acres on their corn and their beans but but the president keeps talking about there's 90 million in his opinion, 90 million acres of basically underperforming pasture land that needs to be bought, brought into production. So there's always been a discussion about the amount of acres that can come in, but now we're getting actually the government to try to address it and put in place a program to physically bring it. So that isn't going to do anything to where things are at today, but that's a longer term um, on my side. But then on the demand side, I keep asking myself, how are beans staying as strong as they are uh, based on the timing of where we're at? And that could end up being for the demand side of the equation. You know, that looms out there also. So you've got you've got a, a lot of things going on, Susan. Sean, what have you heard about the Safrina corn crop? Because of the continued moisture, how delayed is this crop at this point? And is it going to cause any problems for us? Well, there's something more to it than just the rainfall. They've had the third coolest growing season in 50 years in Brazil, which means that their crops developing late. A lot of the harvest delays is not just the rain, it's the fact it's not ready to be harvested, which tells me we're not actually going to catch up to the degree we need to to get the full crop in on time, which means we are going to push out a fair bit of the Safrina corn crop into that April, May timeframe, which is seasonally dry. Our work says this April, May could be exceptionally dry, which doesn't mean a terrible crop, by the way, it could still turn out okay. But it means that this record crop, bin buster crop that is baked into the market psychology, as Jeff pointed out earlier, may have to be trimmed down. And at a time when corn ending stocks on a global basis are as tight as they are, you know, that just keeps the market uncomfortable that the U.S. had better deliver this year and, and, and keeps anxiety high going into the planting season. So. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask both of you guys this. First to you, Sean, does that mean we're going to see a pickup in the corn versus bean acres as they look at what's happening in the near future? Well, that's a loaded question because we have all this supposed renewable diesel that's going to be coming later in the year. You hear the numbers, 7 million, 10 million, 12 million more soybean acres that we're supposed to need. Um, and so how is it that we can increase corn acres at the expense of soybean acres when all this demand is sitting right over the corner later on this year into 24, 25? It's going to be a very interesting dynamic. I don't think the soybeans can give up the acres uh, that the corn market is supposed to be getting. And so this battle for acres, 
you know, could be epic here this spring and could all you know lead to higher prices for both as the market sorts out who really needs it the most. We got a new plant coming on in line in California. You're seeing crush expansion in Nebraska and other states as well. Jeff, how much pressure does that put on this market? And can we even try to meet that demand should all this come to fruition? Well, I think we're in that we're always in that interesting time of the year in here where we're discovering where those acres are going to be. And, you know, all we really have to are basically what we saw from the baseline numbers from USDA. Now, we know at the end of the month here, we'll have the numbers from the Outlook meeting, but some research that we've done would basically suggest that we think corn acres can end up getting to about 91.5 million, which that would be up about 2.9 million acres from where it would have been last year. And beans would increase about 500,000 acres, which would put it about 88 million. Now, we know that the wheat acres overall, about 2.6 million. Now, I don't think all those wheat acres are going to hold in. So overall, Susan, we're, we're expecting about 6 million more acres between corn, beans, and wheat compared to where that would have been last year. Well, LaShawn, I wanted to ask you, um, switch gears here for just a moment. And I was looking at like the class three milk prices, for example, saw some negativity once again this week. Uh, that all has ties back to our grain complex as well. But what are your thoughts on how this dairy market's moving? Dairy is always hugely impacted by Chinese demand. And so when the Chinese have gone through this COVID chaos period, you know, the demand for dairy has really been hit hard. And so we've seen the powder price really get hit, which impacts class four, which of course filters into class three. However, on the other side of this is the rebound. And we know how much milk demand here and in the EU picked up when wheat came out of it, they're going to be coming out of it. So we think that the worst or some of the worst period for low prices is going to be here in the first quarter we're pretty optimistic that demand's going to come back. And by the way, North Island of New Zealand, a very important area for production of milk, um, has experienced one of the worst flooding two months in about 50 years from three typhoons that have come in in succession. And so their production on the tail end of their production season is going to be way, way off. That has a lot to do with what the GDD price, international price goes for. So we're starting to turn much more optimistic about the outlook for dairy in the back half of 23 from where we are right now. On the cattle side, are we seeing a top right now as we hit the second half of February? Our work says that we are expecting some kind of a short-term top, a break into the, into the spring. I know that's an unpopular view. Most people are ragingly bullish, uh, but we worry that the demand side of the equation isn't going to hold up as well as it has up to this point. We do appreciate the long-term supply side picture and what that means, but we think short-term there's an air pocket to hit first. We would be making sure if we're on the livestock side and the cattle to make sure we're buttoned up in the second quarter on cash sales and protection. All right, Jeff, earlier you brought up uh, African swine fever. We know that it reappeared this week in Hong Kong. What do you see that having a big impact on our grain prices and, and movement and possible purchasing of hogs coming out of, of Hong Kong and China? Well, I, I think um, demand should stay strong on, on the pork side there. It is something that we have to watch. I mean, one of the concerns that we have longer term is we think it's not a matter of when we physically end up getting uh, African swine fever or if it's going to be here. It's more when it's going to happen. So we have to keep a very close eye on that, Susan. 
All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you both for joining us this weekend. Just a reminder to folks, the markets are closed on Monday for President's Day. And these commodity futures and options do involve a substantial risk of loss not suitable to all investors. As we wrap up the week, that is the Nebraska Soybean Board Weekly Market Roundup, brought to you by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff.